I'm so glad you're here today. We are in week four of something called Supernatural Nonsense. And it basically came from an understanding of something that was resonating in my heart, this thing we call church, that on the surface it just seems very nonsensical to come to, as I said, we were four weeks in, but as I said in the beginning, that why would I want to go listen to some man or woman talk to me about some God I've never seen to give me a bunch of rules to follow to only take my money and send me home. And so we understand that everybody, you know, when we think church, we all have our opinions. And so supernatural nonsense rose in my heart because I've been trying to balance the nonsensical side of church and what it is raw and then the supernatural side of church that we can never discount. And this is kind of where we've landed the, you know, of what we're talking about is that anytime we mention church, this, wherever we are, Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, whatever the denomination or here, there's no denying that it is religion in, in its form. But if I'm not careful, I can throw the baby out of the bathwater because it's not just religion, it is the wisdom of God. So this thing right here where we sit and we call it religion or church, it originated not from humans, it originated from the mind of God. But, how many of you know, we humans have a brilliant gift to mess things up. At any time in the Bible you see God pick a human, a human has the gift to blow it. But just because we humans mess it up does not discount it was still divinely orchestrated by God. And if we're not careful, we will take this thing called church, dumb it down to just being religion, and miss the wisdom of God in it. And we'll say things like, well, I don't need it. I don't need church. I don't need that. It's just religion. It doesn't even make sense to me. And that's legit. I think that is a fair argument if I'm just talking from natural things I see that we humans have messed it up. Myself included, as much as I would think I would love Jesus, I can mess it up and have messed it up. So the challenge is we have to just come to the knowledge that in everything God does, He's chosen to use humans. And if He chooses humans, there's a likelihood it can get messy. But just because it gets messy doesn't mean I just need to toss it out and go, I can do without it. Now, I wrote six things down that most religious things would include. Singing, praying, community, teaching, communion, and giving. We've talked about three of them, giving. We came to this, that it's not just you tossing your money in a plate or you giving 10%. It is that giving connects you to supernatural intervention. It releases, a, it's like a seed that is planted. We talked about communion. It is just bread and juice we made jokes about it, that it's hard to sit there and open that little plastic. It doesn't even feel spiritual as you nearly cuss trying to get it open. But at the end of it, it's supernatural. It connects you to God. It connects you to His covenant with Jesus. And then last week, teaching. That whether we think it's important or not, you need to be taught. We all need to be taught. Because teaching should take me to the supernatural work of Christ. And today... We're going to talk about this thing called community. Now in that, what I mean is church. The challenge is the word community 
it makes me think, what is the difference in church versus a motorcycle club? I rode motorcycles years ago with a bunch of guys. We had our cool little jackets, and we rode around looking really cool, so we thought. But what is the difference in me being part of a motorcycle club and then being part of church? Or me being part of a hunting lodge versus church? Or a sport team versus church? Because they all have a lot of things in common. Friendships, fun, humor, you'll be challenged. Uh, they have dues you have to pay. They have rules you have to follow. Uh, you know, if we're going to wear your coat with a patch. I mean, every, every club, community group has some system of rules, some form of a process to join, some form of dues that are... But then when we come to church, we don't even want to talk about it. We're like, no, no, we don't need that. That's just religion. But it's the only place that we like to say that because everywhere else we're good with it, except this. And so the challenge becomes, what's so different about this than a motorcycle club? And so we're going to do something today, and what I'm going to attempt to do is to tell you why I think church is distinctly different than just any other club and why I want to try to push us to God's wisdom and not just throw the baby out and call this religion. And I hope to do a good job. See if we can't jump into it. In Matthew, in the gospel, we find ourselves coming into a story in Matthew 16. And the story we're stepping into is Jesus is in an argument with religious people. And they are nitpicking him. Anybody know what nitpicking is? <laughs> From the south, you'll know. They're nitpicking him. And the nitpick is, well, if you think you're God, why don't you prove it? If you think you're all that, why, if you think you have all that authority, if you think you're that, why don't you give us a miracle? So they're nitpicking. They're, they're poking him. They're prodding him. They're trying to stir him up, get him angry. And so in that prodding and pricking of trying to get proof, is he who he says he is, that Jesus steps into the story, verse 13. Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples. So we're not talking about the religious people anymore. He's kind of got his fellows together, those that were the men and women that were following him. He pulled them in and he said this, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now in that, Jesus intimates something incredible. He understands that everybody in the room has an opinion. Right now, if we polled from Sam and we come all the way over to the other side of the room and we poll everybody in the room, everybody in this room will have an opinion of church and Jesus and the Bible and religious people. And Jesus says, well, I'd like to know who do people say I am. In other words, he's not ignoring that we all have opinions. And then they answer, well, some people say you're this. Some people say you're that, and other people say you're this. And it's not that Jesus sits around irritated at that. He opens up to us that everybody in the room will have an opinion. The problem is, if we're not careful, the opinions that we formulate may not be right. And if I don't have the right opinions of God, I will end up not being where He wants me to be. Now, the problem with this is 
because we have defined church based off of people's opinions rather than what it really is, we end up with a lot of crazy things. We end up with a lot of opinions. That's why we have Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Church of God in Christ, Oneness, Catholic. Uh, we, that, that's just how we do it. We do it in a way that we formulate the validity of it based on people's opinions. So Jesus throws it out there. And then he says this, but I need to really hone in on you fellas and ask a question. I don't really care what everybody else thinks about me. I need to know what you guys think. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers in verse 16, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And in that, Jesus said, dude, you're blessed. Because my Father in heaven revealed this to you, you did not learn this from any human being. And in that statement, Jesus opens Pandora's box to this thing between God and humans. He lets us know that if we're not careful, we can miss the blessings of God on our life because the opinions of people validate the value of God. The opinions that people have of church, God, Jesus, uh, this thing called religion, if not careful, will cause me to miss the true power that is behind it. So Jesus says, Simon, man, you are blessed. And the reason you're blessed is because you answered from a revelation rather than from human understanding. So that tells me that there is this issue of church because we're so opinionated as humans. If we are not slow to think this through, what we think about church will be my opinions versus revelation of God. And I'm telling you, if we go opinions only, I don't know why anybody comes to church. Because we're a weird group of people. But when you have a revelation of it, you really don't, it doesn't matter what happens, I'm showing up. Because I know who he is. And I know what he's trying to do here. And I have a revelation of it. And so I live out of revelation of the wisdom of God rather than out of human opinion trying to formulate whether I think I should go to church or not. Now all of that is going on and Jesus continues. He says, now I want to say something to you, Peter. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now here's where I need you to hone in. Church was never a human idea. It was never. It did not originate in a human idea. Church was first instituted in the mind of God. There's nobody here yet going, come to my church. Well, we're Baptists. Come to my church. We're really free. Come to my church. We do it better than anybody. Come to my church. My preacher's off his rocker. Come to my church. We've got the best music around. Come to my church. Jesus needs us to know that the my church did not originate with me and you. The my church came from his mind, his wisdom. Because if it was left up to our mind, here's how it would be. We would have church of the weed smokers, church of the bud lights, church of the gummy worms, 
We would all have our groups of people that were like-minded. We think alike. We smoke alike. We, we drink alike. And we would have our little clubs and talk about Jesus. So when he says, I'm building something you won't even think about, he, he, he really goes for the low blow because he says, what I'm thinking is not just a club. I'm thinking something so powerful that even the powers of hell will not ever be able to stop it. So he, he, he brings it into that there's something really supernatural. This is not a club. This is the mind of God that will combat the powers of hell. Now the moment he says this, we, we get an issue. And the issue is this. If Jesus is trying to build it, we humans will be gifted to mess it up. And if Jesus is trying to build it and we can mess it up and the powers of hell are coming against it, then what sits in the middle of Jesus and the powers of hell are humans. And both camps are working overtime, one to build it and one to destroy it. And we are the pawns in the middle being used. And what happens is, if I'm not careful, I will allow the enemy to use my humanity to destroy what God wants to do. And if I'm wise, I will allow Jesus to use my humanity to build what he wants to build. And it's up to me whether I become part of the destruction or part of the building. And I can't blame it on anybody but myself. Because he tells me the powers of hell should not do this, but they can. So it really becomes to how I perceive it. Will I perceive it I'm, I'm part of a building or part of a destruction? This is my opinion. I don't think you can sit in the middle. You're either going to be building or you're destroying. There is no middle ground. And so it really makes me think, okay, God, I want to be careful that I am a man that is used by God to build. So when he says church, this is... I go into depth on Wednesday about this topic, so I will not do it today. You can listen to the revival videos on our YouTube channel. But when Jesus says the word church, I've tried to be very thoughtful about what I picked. He's not thinking club with suits and little mugs with your church name on it and a little bumper sticker that says, follow me to believers. When Jesus says, I'm building my church, it, it would translate, the best way I could sum it is into a redemptive community. Redemptive meaning there's something godly about it. Community, there's something human about it. There's no way to talk about church without talking about the divine element of God and then the undivine element of humans. And both have to be together. So that any time we talk church, it's going to be, Woo! Get them, God! And then, oh, God, them. Because it's, it's designed to be, because of community, messy. But because of redemptive power, life-changing. And if you don't know how to handle the mess, you rarely find the blessing. Come on. If you can't handle the messiness... It, this, is not even, this is not good English, but it sure does feel good. If you can't handle the messiness, 
you'll never have the blessiness. <laughs> right? You, that was dorky, but I liked it. <laughs> it felt good in my soul. Like, I see so many people trade in what God wants to do because some human got in the way. Because somebody hurt them, said something about them, disappointed them, uh, did not do well. But we have to come to a place that anytime we talk church, you have humans. And anytime you have humans, we're just weird. And we can blow it and we, we mess up. But also, I don't want to just quit because on the other side of the natural is the super. It's the divinity. It's the power of God. And I'm okay that He uses my humanity to capture what He wants to capture in the kingdom. And if we don't come to this knowledge, we will never be who God wants us to be. It'll always be a preacher's fault, an elder's fault, a person's fault, a leader's fault. They didn't call me. They hurt my feelings. I don't like it. I didn't like this. I, and, and we just focus church being a bunch of humans. But at the same time, I can't say, oh, I just want God to show up and show out. Because if he does that, he uses humans. Because God has said all along the way I work is through humans. And you humans can blow it and mess it up. But I'm good with that. If you'll just allow me to use you, I'm good of the threat that y'all might mess it up. So 2,000 years removed from Jesus saying I'm building my church. If we're not careful, the opinions of it will be based off what people have done. And I'll just help you. There's not one church that does it perfect. I know you're going to think there is. I know when you're irritated at one, you'll think the other one has it. They do. They have it. They have humans. And if they have humans, there's a mess. Now, the way we do church, though, if I'm honest, I've been in it 33 years. The way we fake this community is we don't tell you who we are up front. We give you a mug, a pen, a t-shirt. We put our best pictures on Instagram. We don't show you the fat people. We put the best pictures. We don't show you the people with sweat in their armpits. We show you the best pictures on Instagram. It's like dating. It's just it's like this is, this is romance 101. But I'll tell you what, hang out with us about a year and watch when you figure out, oh my God, they're just human. They're just as dumb as everybody else. <laughs> and if you're not careful, you will stop the redemptive and you'll only focus on the human side and you're never going to be who God wants you to be. Never. Because I will tell you this, God will use a human to get you where he wants you to be. And sometimes some of the greatest moves forward are with the humans that irritate you. Because God is trying to push you into growth. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk about church as a redemptive community. In other words, how do we bridge the messy with the message? How do we deal the people with His presence? Because what I do not want on this corner is that we trick you into coming to church. And we act like it's just all His presence here. Because it's not all His presence. It's with people too. And neither do I just want to go, let's get butts in the seat and then realize we have no presence. Both have to work together. 
if we're going to be who God wants us to be. And the reason this is so difficult, you would think it would be easy, is everybody comes in with an opinion. We have an opinion about what we think about God. We have an opinion of what we think about people. And then we all get in here in the corner and go, okay, let's do church. So I would like to attempt in a few minutes to bridge the gap, tell you what I believe about us here now. So I'm bringing us in from the world and just us on the corner. What are we trying to do on this corner? And here's what I've worked out. I've come up with four things that I think are distinctly redemptive community that set us apart from anything else that we have to ultimately come to understand if we're going to be who God wants us to be on the corner. Because if you don't understand it, you'll hang out with us a while and then we just filter out, go somewhere else where we're happy and we miss the redemptive community growing old together. I know this is romantic and probably not possible. But I would love it still. I would love to grow old with all of you. There's something fun about walking the journey of life together. There's something very meaningful about walking with someone through a hardship because you get to know them better. But typically we don't do redemptive community well because as soon as I start falling apart, I run from redemption and run from community and sit at home. Because we failed as God's people of how to do life long term together. A preacher's going to disappoint you people. And so if anybody I think doesn't do church or long term community well, it's church people. We hop around a lot because we never want to be confronted with this thing called redemptive community. Here's the four. Number one. We are a community of the forgiven. At the base of who we are, everybody in this room is forgiven. Now this may stretch you because what we've done as Christians is we said you're forgiven after you come and confess. But the Bible says you're already forgiven. That means right now you never have to pray a prayer and He's already forgiven you. Jesus is so powerful that he understood that shame could keep you away from him. He went ahead and just eradicated all shame and ahead of your life said, already forgiven. But what we religious people like to do is you're just a bunch of raunchy sinners and you need to come to Jesus. And then everybody just kind of like, ugh. And then we judge ourselves on our raunchiness. I'm raunchy, but I'm not as raunchy as him. Like, that's how we do it. And Jesus is like, no. Everybody in the room, you're already forgiven. I hold nothing against you. And that, that religiously blows my mind. He has to have something against me. I mean, that's the way we perceive him. We perceive him looking over us with a, oh, God, he's going to get me. Oh, I'm just not living right. I know if I'm not living right, he's going to get me. I know he's going to get me. Oh, this is coming. He's going to take my knees out, my back out. He's going to do, he's going to blow my kidney out to teach me. He's not trying to do anything to teach you anything except I've already pre-forgiven you. This is the greatest thing we got going. Nobody in this room is he holding a thing against. Well, I've been an addict for 40 years. So what? I've already forgiven you. Well, I've cheated on my wife 12 times. You need to thank God she hadn't killed you yet, but you're forgiven. 
He has totally and completely forgiven you once for all time. And once I grab that, let's read it. Colossians chapter 2. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature that was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ and forgave how much? Did he forgive half of them? All of them. Everybody in this room is forgiven right now. This is where it gets really dirty religious. That means every molester has been forgiven. The person that raped you has been forgiven. The person that killed your wife in a drunk driving, forgiven. Everybody that's ever done you wrong is forgiven. But not only are they forgiven, so are you. I have forgiven everybody. How dare you humans stand up and act like that I don't forgive that person, but I forgave you. I forgive you all. And that's just mind-blowing. There's no way he could forgive the murderer. There's no way he could forgive Hitler. Hitler? There's no way. He can't do that. There's no way he could have forgiven my uncle for molesting me. No, he, my uncle needs to pay. He, he abused me. God, I just ask you to get him. And the Lord's like, I've forgiven everybody. I know we like to hold on to it because that's the humanity. The humanity is I like to hold on to the hurt. I like to hold on because you're going to pay for it. I'm going to make you pay. But if I serve Jesus and I enter into his church, I become part of a redemptive community. And suddenly I go, oh my God, I'm forgiven. And if I'm forgiven, well, far be it for me that I don't forgive. And so Jesus opens up and here's where it gets interesting. This will stretch you a mite. Verse 14 of Colossians 2, I canceled the record of charges that were against you. Come on, how many of you right now could write a list of garbage in your life? And if you can't write it, ask your wife to write it. She will write you a list. And if you're a kid and don't know, believe me, your mama can make a list. He said, I took everything ever charged against you and I nailed it to the cross. This was the most eye-opening moment of my life. When I fell in a sinful moment and I judged myself to be unfit to be used by God and I judged myself that He could no longer use me and I judged myself that no one would ever follow a failure. And I judged myself that I cannot lead as a failure. I had had so much weight of living a perfect life, I could not even fathom that Jesus could use me after I failed. I felt like He should use me because I was so good. I had all the degrees. I had the stuff on the wall. I was a good old boy. I lived a wonderful life. I had some sins, but not many. They'd fit in a little bag. But the moment my life fell apart and I began to judge myself, how could he use me? How, I don't even know. Nobody's. I, I said that. Nobody would ever follow me. This was never in my mind. Because when I sinned, in my mind was empty seats. Nobody will follow a failure. There's no way I could ever stand up and tell humans that I have failed. That was my mentality. You only follow the successful. You only follow those that are out front. You don't follow the people with the scars. You follow the people that are... And now my mind is I'm a failure, a loser. I've disappointed God. I have failed and my humanity came rising to the top. And when this came off the page and hit me in my heart... And I heard the voice of Jesus in this. 
that said to me, Mark, I knew you would fall apart before I ever picked you. And I picked you anyway. I couldn't understand that kind of love. I thought you picked me because I could perform for you so well. I thought you picked me because I was so passionate. And he says, son, I knew you would do this sin even when I anointed you back here. And I picked you anyway. Do you know it doesn't matter if you've been a drug addict, a liar, a manipulator, married 12 times, divorced, beating yourself up over it? You, you, you've had all kind of sinful issues. Do you want me to tell you something about this? It's time for you to drop that. Because Jesus knew everything that would go on and He said, I forgive you. Well, but you don't know what I've done. I know. I don't need to know what you've done. I'm letting you know He forgave you. Yeah, but I didn't know I would get divorced. I know you didn't. You were prideful that you could pull it off. But when you couldn't pull it off, you can't get over the shame of what happened. And I'm telling you, there is no shame. He has forgiven you completely. Before you were born, He took your sin and nailed it on the cross and backed up and said, forgiven. And that blows the religious mind. Because religion is, I have to keep you in shame. I have to keep you pushed back that you'll never arrive. And you need me to arrive. Because the preacher to stand up and go, what? You need him. And you're forgiven. And look what he said. He said, I took all of the spiritual powers and disarmed them. Why? Because the enemy will use shame to disarm you. You're never good enough. You're never holy enough. You're never wise enough. He'll always make you feel... And even people will say, I would love to lead a group, but I just don't think I'm ready yet. Get over it. You're never ready. I'm riding on I-20 today going, I ain't ready. You never get ready. You just have to go, if you can use anything, God used me. And he goes, okay, I'm in. Count me in. But let me tell you something about this house because it's what I'm talking about. I, I make a vow to you that I will never shame you when you come in this door. Because I'm wise enough to know we all have hell and crap we deal with. And if he doesn't hold it against you, neither do I. Come on in the door. No shame here. Now this week, I got an email. And the email said, I would like to know if your church affirms LGBTQ+. And so I'm like, okay, I've got to answer this. Does my church affirm LGBTQ+. Now at first, I'm happy to answer it. But then I get a little irritated. Because nobody has ever asked me, hey, I'm thinking about coming to Believers, but does your church affirm cigarette smoking? Send. Does your church affirm beer drinking? Send. Hey, does your church affirm um, Jameson? Send. Like, nobody ever picks on any other sin but LGBTQ. Oh. You can't come here. If you're gay, we may catch something. Don't, don't come. But do you know what we've done as church? 
people literally have to send an email to see if they can come through the door to a community that says, you're forgiven. But because we've messed it up and judge everybody that comes through the door, I feel obligated to send an email. That would be like me going, hey, I'm thinking about visiting. Do y'all take little pudgy people that are a little ADHD? Because I kind of am. I can get excited. I would hope they would say we take fat people, skinny people, all kind of people, people. So the reality is, believers church, we will not shame you for where you are in life. Because he's forgiven you. And if he's forgiven you, how dare I look down my nose at you? But the second step of the community is we're a community of the freed. The goal is not that he just forgives you. The forgiveness is to eradicate the shame so he can say, Jocelyn, come. And Jocelyn doesn't have to come with her head hanging down going, oh, I'm just so sorry. She can come boldly. Because it's the, I've already forgiven you that opens his arms. And that love, that, 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 that thinking that says, how can he love me knowing what I've done? I feel so unworthy to be loved. I, but he says, come. And then I come, and the moment I come, do you know what the whole reason he wanted to forgive me is? He wants me free. The goal here is freedom. The goal is not do we allow certain people in the building or not. Pfft, come, like we all got issues. All God's chilling got issues. But when you come in the door and we all say we need forgiveness, we're remiss or remiss to not say, but we've been forgiven, but we're working toward freedom. And this is what he says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. For he's rescued us from a kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. And I love this phrase, verse 14. Who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. The reason he forgave sins is so he could let you know, I also purchased your freedom. Mark, there's no reason, he goes on to say, you've died with Christ Colossians 2.20, and he sets you free. And then he brings this thing in from the powers of the world. I set you free from those things. So that we can say this morning, all of us are forgiven. Everybody in the room is forgiven. Every accusation forgiven. But at the forgiveness, he says, come on in because I'm going to free you from all of the addictions and the lust and the behaviors and all of the, the anxieties and the fears and the torments and the things we Christians carry around in a bag. He says, I'm going to free you. From the powers of the world, think about that. What would be the powers of the world? Perversions and lust and anxieties and torments and, and all the emotional and psychological things that come. And he says, so why are you still following them? Why do you follow all the rules? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, don't chew. I'm trying to bring you to a place to where your freedom is in me. So I want to say to you today is... Is there a shame that you can't get rid of? Is there something in your past you can't get over? Has somebody hurt you? Has a pastor disappointed you? Did somebody treat you poorly? And that is a, like a, just a thorn in your flesh because you cannot get over that moment. 
You have to look at the person that hurt you and you have to go, God, if you forgave them, so do I. And man, that is hard when you're looking in the eyes of your abuser. You're looking in the eyes of the person that did you wrong and you just have to say, God, forgive them. Forget, but I, I want to tell you something. I don't know who this is for. Something supernatural happens when you forgive the very person for what you know. You know that you need to keep the noose around their neck. And something happens when you say, because I've been forgiven, I in turn forgive them too. And something supernatural in your life just blows itself out of the water. So bow your heads for a moment. I ask you, is there somebody here you need to forgive? Is there a moment in your past when you've been hurt and the shame is so big? The memory is so powerful, you can't, every time you go to bed, you remember it. You remember what your ex-husband did to you. You remember what your last pastor did to you. You remember what that other Christian friend did to you. You remember your shame, your failure. You've beat yourself up over it. You have made promises to God a thousand times and you've broken all thousand of them. And he said, I forgave you before you made one promise. You've told God, God, if you will, I will. He did and you didn't. He said, I forgive you of that too. You told him this year, I'm going to pray more and read my Bible more, but you didn't. He forgave you of that too. You've told him, I really mean business this time. I'm in, I'm in, count me in. You lasted about a month and a half. He forgave you of that too. You've hidden a sin for years. You're ashamed to tell anybody what it is. He also forgave you of that one. You have dark thoughts that you would never tell anybody. You're so ashamed of them. He forgave you of all those too. And now he says, what stops you from being free? Why are you using this as an excuse? Why won't you step into my freedom? Why are you always letting this rob you of my blessing? I want to free you up. You're living in torment, anxiety. God wants to free you from the anxiety. This is the message of redemptive community. You're forgiven and you're free. And yet so many of us live in shame. So many of us live bound. And we tolerate it. And rather than trying to find freedom, it becomes our identity. You can't even go through Christmas because you're so hurt. You can't even enjoy a birthday because it reminds you of so much pain. You're, you're, I don't know who this is for. You're dreading Thanksgiving coming. You dread it every year. Because the shame of the moment. You dread every holiday because of the shame and hurt of the moment and the disappointments. You swear over and over and over you're going to stop drinking so much. You swear over and over and over you're going to conquer that weight issue this year. You swear over and over and over I'm changing, but you never do. And now you have shame and you've tolerated it rather than found freedom. And we want to know why people don't want to come to God's house. 
He's calling you today to leave the shame behind. He holds nothing against you. And He's telling you there's nothing that you have that's too powerful for Him. He can free you. So before I go to the next two, I need you to have a moment with Jesus. I need you once and for all to let the shame go. And as you think about that, imagine me telling God, I will never speak publicly again. I was too embarrassed, too ashamed. But then to have to stand up here and say to a house full of 400 plus people, the shepherd that leads the house has committed adultery. I hate it. It saddens my soul. I wish it on not my worst enemy. It embarrassed me and my family and hurt a lot of people. And I vowed I would never, ever, ever, ever be used again by God because I could not allow myself to get over the shame. I couldn't. I could never publicly say it because it was so shameful. I still struggle to say it, but I've learned that His, his freedom is far greater. Woo. His freedom is far greater than my feelings. And I would rather people find freedom than worry about my feelings. So today, I don't know who you are, but it's time to let the shame go. And I'll tell you, honey, if you come to believers, as far as I know, I'm not going to allow anybody in this house to put you back under shame. There is no shame on you. You have been forgiven. And if He forgave you, why not me? Why not us? Who is it that you need to let it go? And you're justified not to forgive them. They don't deserve it either. But forgive them. Call their name. Just under your breath, Father, I forgive. And then just speak the name of that person. Oh, it might sting a minute, but freedom will come. They'll no longer own you. You're letting unforgiveness own you. You're giving them space in your head. And God wants that space. Now, if you'll just say amen. Let's go to number three and four. We're a community of family. I'll be brief here, but very, very curt. This is the most difficult one to deal with because when we say family, we mean messy people. There's no way to talk about church without talking about people. I'm going to tell you how naive I was. Are you ready for this? In 1996, when Robin and I started our first church, I made this declaration. Honey, everybody is going to like me. I am going to be the best pastor anybody's ever had because I know how to love people. I like everybody. And in my church, I'm just telling, I told her this. I said, I'm just letting you know that when people think church and think about church, they're going to think about me and how sweet I am. I literally said that. I, I had the romantic first date that this person will never argue with me. 
And I stepped into that pulpit on the first Sunday romantically in love with everybody God was bringing. And lo and behold, about a year later, the romance was gone. And the first accusation came, you're the worst pastor I've ever had. And I'm like, what? I even thought, were you ever under Hitler's church? (laughs) The worst? I mean, I'm good to be like number eight. The worst you have ever had? I'm not even a Satanist. The worst you've ever had. And she was very clue. She even said, I think you need to get yourself out of town and get up to Atlanta. You don't belong here. And for a moment, I was not a Christian. Because I thought to myself, God doesn't even love you. (laughs) But I realized quickly, even when we think it's romantic, it's not. Church is messy. I would love to say Believer's Church is the most wonderful, gracious, and I'm going to try my best, but I too have faults. And if you hang out long enough, the romance of Mark will wear off, and I have my quirks, and I have my issues. You have yours. And I'll simply say that if we don't learn how to embrace each other, we will forever stay perpetually frustrated. Robin and I were on a date the other night, and she just started giggling. Well, that makes me nervous. Like, what are you laughing about? It's out of the middle of nowhere. She just said, you. I'm like, me? What did I do? Like, I'm letting my pants unzip? Like, me? It's a romantic dinner. You're laughing about me? She said, just your quirks. I said, quirks? Like, what's wrong? Like, did I do something wrong? She said, no, like, you love uh, Parmesan cheese if it's grated, but you don't like Parmesan cheese if it's whole. And I said, yeah, that's normal. That's most people. She said, no, that's a quirk. So, so when they brought my salad, I handed her the Parmesan cheese. It was in clumps, and I kept the nice cut up. And then she kind of dipped in mine. I'm like, stay away from mine. This is mine, you know? But we've learned to embrace the quirks. If we don't learn to embrace each other's quirks, do you know what you'll do? Every Sunday you leave, you'll go sit at dinner, and you'll sit and gossip and snip and, and nitpick everybody's quirks. I don't want to go to a church where I get nitpicked all the time. I don't want to nitpick you. And if you want to nitpick me, I'd say find something better to do. I ain't all that. But we have to be a family. Now watch what he says real quickly. He says, since God chose you to be holy people, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Tender-hearted mercy means give people some space. Kindness means keep your pie hole to yourself unless you can say something nice. Humility, you ain't all that, so watch out. Gentleness, don't just tell them what you think. Be, be thoughtful about it because you can hurt them. And patience, after you give them the wisdom of their quirk, they're probably not going to change. Then he goes on to say, make allowance. Man, give me this kind of church, please. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anybody that offends you. That already tells you that when you talk about church, you have the potential to get offended. Everybody in the room can get offended. I can get offended. You can get offended. But he says, make allowance for everybody's faults. 
I, that's why I try to be so transparent. I guide them. I'm not up here like I'm all that. I literally tell you what I struggle with. I literally try to be as kind as I can to let you know I'm just a human. I've got my own little issues that me and God are working out, but I'm not going to make that cause me to sit at home and pout. I'm simply going to say, God, I want you to use me, and I may have some quirks and faults about this old boy, but I love you, and I want to do the same for you. I'm glad you come in the door. When you do come in the door, I'm not going to give you shame and I don't want to nitpick your quirks. We have to give each other space. So when we're sitting around trying to get along together, give space. Not everybody's in the same place you are. Not everybody thinks like you do. Not everybody's going to think you're all that. But just go, it's okay. I love to be part of a place that gives me space to grow. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together with harmony. So here's what I'll say about all of us. I kind of like your quirks because it makes us who we are. And who in their mind has the energy to nitpick our quirks? We all have them. Matter of fact, we just may give everybody a shirt where you can just wear your quirk. Mine will just say shredded Parmesan. <laughs> And we'll, we'll just all have quirks. But it sure does make for a nicer family when you can go somewhere and just be who God made you to be and be embraced rather than talked about. And the final one is this. I'm going to ask Michael to come up. Let's get ready for communion. We're a community of faith. At the end of the day, we're pushing each other to faith. At the end of the day, we believe the impossible. He says this, for we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people. There's that issue. Faith in Jesus, but then there's people. So what we try to do is to say when we come in the door, watch this, which come from your confident hope that's been reserved from you in heaven. You have this expectation ever since you first heard of the truth of the good news. My prayer here is that we will always have an expectation of something bigger than our humanity. That when we come through the doors and we bring our brokenness and we bring the shame and we bring the hurt and we bring the faults and we bring the quirks and we walk in the door and we call it church, in that moment I pray that the atmosphere we build is you're forgiven, there is no shame. But we call you to freedom in Christ so you can overcome but we also call you to embrace everybody's faults so we can become a family. And we also want you to know that at the end of the day, we're going to push you to faith. We're going to push you to become everything God wants you to be. So I wrote this down. I would love you to do me a favor, if you would. I would love you to either take a picture of this or download it on the notes this week when they come out and pray this prayer for us. We're growing. Our house is growing. New people are coming every week. We're getting emails of what kind of church are we? What do we do? What do we believe? And I'll simply start here in the most basic way. We need to be able to make room for faults because we're human. But we want to stir each other toward forgiveness, freedom, and faith. I'll say this to you as a leader of the house. I will always accept you here. I'll never look down my nose. I'll never talk about you at lunch. I'll give you space to be you. 
but I'm always going to push you to forgiveness, freedom, and faith. Always. And if we will do this together, I think we can have a doggone good church. I think the place will be full of people looking for freedom. There's a world that just wants to be loved for who they are. And we need to just open our arms and say, come on in. We want to push you to forgiveness, push you to freedom, and push you to faith. Stand up with me if you will. If you'll bow your head, I want to pray for you and then we'll come to communion in our giving. I would ask today during communion that you would be honest with yourself about those four areas. The area of forgiveness and shame, the area of freedom and being in bondages of addictions and behaviors. The area of family, you may have been hurt by other Christians, other churches, other pastors, other people. And in the area of your faith, are you growing in Christ, becoming more like Him every day? If you'll do me a favor as we come to give, if you will take your gift in your hand of your offering, this is part of our series that we're believing our offerings are seeds. So even if you give online or you give in the middle of the week, just if you'd grab your phone and hold that as your seed, or if you're bringing it today as an offering, what we do encourage is that everybody bring a seed and believe for that supernatural. Now, Father, the seed we're holding, our gifts that we're going to bring here, I bless this seed. It's connected to hard work. It's connected to hourly pays and wages and salaries. We could use it for a lot of other things, but today we give a seed to you for your kingdom. And we believe, and I bless this seed to be returned back to every business, every husband, every wife, every man, every woman, every teenager that's giving, that that seed will be turned back to them supernaturally. Bless their businesses. Bless their home. God, I, I don't know. I don't know who this is for, but some, there's a pressing need. Uh, and by pressing, I mean like, I need this now. You need something to happen like quickly. Just give a seed today, any amount, but let that seed, God, I'm giving this for this need. I need this, Lord, but I'm giving this seed. I bless your giving. Now, Father, for the communion, we have learned in this series that this is our connection to your covenant. That greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And today, as we take this bread and we take this wine, we're connecting to your supernatural covenant. No weapon formed against us will prosper. The covenant that says by your stripes we are healed. The covenant that says we're all forgiven. The covenant that says I give you eternal life. The covenant that says my angels will count round about you always. The covenant that said no disease can come nigh my dwelling. Our covenant with you God as we dip this bread is that we enter into that supernatural covenant. Lord I bless what we've heard with our ears. Our elders are here to pray with you if you need special prayer. I ask that you come now and partake of communion and giving. Michael will lead us in some worship as we come. And then Robin will come dismiss us at the end. I love you. There's power in the presence of